Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are so glad that you are listening in today. As God's people, we are concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org, and please subscribe to always get the next podcast. When I was first out of college and newly married, my wife Betsy and I found ourselves moving to Youngstown, Ohio. I was beginning a position as a youth pastor. We didn't know anything about Youngstown other than that its main employer was General Motors, and it didn't take long to learn that the town was on hard times. Jobs were limited, and the town was a shadow of its former self. But one odd detail that we noticed is that there were a tremendous amount of SUVs and trucks on the road. So we didn't think much of it at the time when we first got there, as SUVs were hugely popular. But there was a decided lack of regular passenger cars. Well, sure, there were always some passenger cars, but everywhere we went, there were vehicles that were tough, they were rough, they were high off the ground. And then winter came, and we experienced what it was like to be a bit deeper into the snow belt. And I thought to myself, oh, everybody's driving these vehicles to handle the snow. And maybe that was true. It certainly was an advantage. But I don't think that was it. In fact, I know that wasn't it. Because with winter comes snow and ice, and with snow and ice come potholes. We had noticed in Youngstown when we first got there that some of the roads were in bad shape. But we learned to avoid them. But April showers, you know how you say April showers bring spring flowers? Well, a winter in Youngstown causes the potholes to bloom. And the good roads got rough, and the bad roads became undrivable. There was one one road near our apartment where you could almost feel your car descend down into a particularly large pothole. It was just massive, and it was like you were emerging on the other side, like you were on some sort of African safari. Some potholes brought roads down to just one lane, and opposing flows of traffic would take turns coming and going in the one still good lane. One day I was chatting with an older gentleman at the church and asked about the road repairs. When was this going to happen? He smiled and said, well, now you know why so many people drive vehicles that are tough and higher up so they can handle the potholes better. And that's when I noticed the people who had those tough and rough vehicles that were sitting higher off the ground, they just plowed through those potholes. And as I noticed, I would wince when they would just wham, hit those potholes. They never, they never knew when or if a road was going to get repaired. They just learned to live with it. Well, today, we're going to find ourselves in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, the inauguration of John the Baptist's ministry, preparing the way for the Lord. They didn't have to just live with things as they were anymore. A new way was made. No more living in a world though just the way it was, no more living with sin as an unfixable problem. The Messiah was about to arrive, and John was to prepare the way for the the arrival of King Jesus, and he was tasked to get all of Israel to prepare the king's road. The text tells us of so many things that point to this preparing. There's repentance, there's baptism, there's the part of the text that mentions the earth uh, being made into a straight path with the valleys filled and the mountains leveled. The way needed to be prepared. The king is coming. John is calling Israel to prepare 
not a physical path, but the path into their hearts. And if we want to be filled with joy and experience the best that God has for us, we too need to prepare the path of our hearts. And not only do we prepare the path into our hearts, but road maintenance is important too. You, have, you may have made a way for Jesus into your life a long while ago. The question is, is have you maintained the king's road into your heart? Or have you let it grow potholes? Has it become undrivable? Is the way in your heart still fit for the king, the king of kings? Our text today is about preparing for the arrival of Jesus. Christmas is about that first arrival, the birth of Jesus. Last week reminded us that Jesus is coming back. He's giving a second return to this earth to judge all of humanity. But Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, is about the Israelites preparing themselves for the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus, though they didn't know his name. And in this text, we will find a call for each of us to make the way ready in our heart for Jesus. And you can prepare the King's Road in your heart if you're willing to practice in honesty, repentance, submission, and obedience. Let's read Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the fifth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch in the region of Etruria, and Trachonitis and Licinius tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Luke makes it very clear that God is at work in human history, and he desires to be in each of our lives. This text begins by naming a particular time in history, a particular place, a particular messenger, John the Baptist, and God tasks John with the critical work of preparing Israel for the arrival of Jesus. They are not ready. They have fallen asleep at the watch. Years and years have passed, and nothing ever has seemed to change. Then God wakes up a new prophet. We hear it in the text when it says, The word of God came to John. And that harkens back to the time of the prophets of the Old Testament. God wants his people to wake up to prepare the way for the Messiah. Get the king's road ready. Prepare the way of the Lord. Now, maybe it doesn't say king's road, but that's what's meant here. Prepare the way of the Lord. The king's road was a road that was to be maintained and well kept for the king to travel on, wherever the king lived and whatever king there was. It was a common practice among all the nations. Now, road maintenance is not easy. So often what would happen is if the king was to travel, he would send heralds ahead of him 
who would be uh, sent to tell the people the king was going to be traveling and they were to repair the road and be ready to receive the king. So in Luke, the preparing of the king's road is dramatically described. Verse 5 tells us, that is making the path straight. It's, the, it's this dramatic picture of leveling the mountains and filling the ba- valleys and straightening the crooked ways. The picture is literally of the whole earth getting flattened. But the reality is, no hills were leveled. Not even a few stones were moved to help clear the path. No physical road was repaired. So what happened? How did John call the people to prepare the way? This is it. They prepared their hearts, the way into their hearts. And you and I are called to prepare our hearts. We pave and maintain the king's road right into our hearts. So how are we to prepare the way? And I want to list off several ways today that we prepare the way into our hearts for the king. First one is we're to listen. We're to listen to God's word. The way began to be the way began to be made straight as the people listened to John. John actually first listened to God. And because he was willing to listen, he was able to preach the word to the people. And the people had to listen to John to be able to receive God's word. Because John could cry out all that he wanted. But if the people of Israel were unwilling to listen and hear the word of the Lord, nothing could happen. In the same way, we need to listen. Listening is active and intentional I have all too often found myself busy, and with that busyness, I stop listening. I might be working or finishing a chore, or as often is these days, on my phone, and my wife or my son will say something to get my attention, and and I'll hear their voices, and I'll say, oh, yeah, that sounds great. And then I'll throw to myself, wait a minute, wait a minute, what, what did I just agree to? I was hearing, but not listening. There's a big difference. Listening is active and intentional. It's deliberate. We need to listen for God's word, to get intentional, to ask God to speak. Too often, we go to the Bible asking God to confirm an idea we already have instead of to listen to what God has to say. And in Luke chapter 3, God is speaking to each one of us to prepare our hearts for Jesus. So we need to listen. But if we want to continue to prepare our hearts, we need to be honest and have honesty about ourselves and honesty about yourself. You will never be able to make the king's road straight in your heart without first being honest about the condition of the road. You'll never patch potholes if you pretend they don't exist. So here are some areas of honesty to get real about. First one is this. Understand that you were made for more. Our existence is not simply to get as much stuff as we can while we're on this earth or to live as long and as healthy as possible. We're made for eternity. We're made to be God's people. We're made to be a royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2.9 tells us this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are made to rule with Christ. Please understand 
that you were made for more and beware of settling for less. And I know many of us have settled for far less than we were made for. Stop. It's time to know what God has really made you to be. Will you be honest about that? We also need to be honest that we're not so good as we'd like to think we are. I know nobody likes to be called a sinner. We've got to be honest about it. We are all sinners. 1 John 1.8 says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. John's call, John the Baptist, was for Israel to participate in a baptism of repentance. Now, that's an important detail. The Jewish people did not have a practice of baptism. Well, they had one. It was a baptism uh, in the Jewish faith that was for Gentiles who were converting to Judaism. And this baptism was called proselyte baptism, and it represented the washing away of a former self, the pagan life, and taking on the identity of God's people. It was for a Gentile to wash away their Gentileness and become Jewish. And now John, he's asking the Israelites to baptize and become, to get baptized. And that request should be shocking. He's asking them to be honest about who they are. They're no longer walking as God's people. They need to see themselves as sinful, unlovable, and as unlovable as they viewed the Gentiles. So we're called to be honest about ourselves. We're wicked. We're sinners. We're no different from the worst of people. It's one thing to say, oh yeah, I know I'm not really great. Sometimes we picture unlovable people and we say, oh yeah, I... We need to care about unlovable people. And, you know, when the Gentile, when the Jewish people were picturing the Gentiles and had a baptism for them to convert over, they weren't picturing people to be pitied like the poor or the unfortunate or the sick. They were picturing people that they looked at and said, that is a wicked person. And so God's asking us to be honest about ourselves and our sin, to realize that, yes, we are wicked. We don't like to hear that. We've got to be honest about it. Forgiveness cannot occur except when we realize responsibility for sin and we're willing to repent of it. Honesty is a key ingredient for forgiveness. I cannot receive forgiveness for something I deny and pretend never happened. Another way that you can be honest is you can be honest that you are God's treasure. So lest you think I'm preaching a gospel of despair, talking about how awful we are, remember the gospel is good news. You are God's treasure. He loves you and desires you, and he wants you to spend eternity with him in heaven. 1 John 3.1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Another area we can be honest about ourselves is that we need help. We can't do it on our own. There's no amount of Christian culture or going to church or good behavior that can replace a personal turning to Jesus because Jesus is who we need. The Messiah is who we need to overcome sin. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He takes care of sin. 
We need his help. So we can believe all kinds of things. And a lot of the things that we believe are often incorrect ideas. We often believe a lot of incorrect things about who we are. But if we're willing to be honest about ourselves, the way in our heart can begin to be repaired. So we listen, we have honesty, and then we are to embody repentance. (coughs) Repentance is a simple thing, but it's a difficult thing. Repentance in the Old Testament means to turn, to turn one way from one way back towards God. And I want to lay out three quick steps for healthy repentance. First is this, you admit you're going the wrong way. More than a few times, I remember riding in the car as a child with my parents and my dad was driving and my mom would be saying, I think we're lost. And my dad's response, we're not lost. Perhaps he always knew where in general we were on planet Earth, but We're not lost is not a good strategy. More than a few times I've heard people speak those words and then wander till they found a familiar sight. They were lost. When we do this with our sin, with our lives, we're only playing with trouble. We need to start our repentance by calling out to God and admitting we've been going the wrong way. And then, second part of repentance is we stop going the wrong way. It doesn't do any good to confess that you're heading the wrong way if you are still walking that way. Stop it. This is important because we can mess up this third step. We need to admit that we have gone the wrong way to repent. We need to stop going the wrong way. But then there's a third part that we can really mess up if we're not careful. And the third part is we need to let God lead the way. Too often we admit we're lost, we stop, but then our third step we assume is is that we've got to find a new way. We've got to do it ourselves. We try to fix it ourselves. But instead, we need to let God lead the way. I challenge you in your repentance. Tell God that you were going the wrong way. Stop going the wrong way. And then tell God this. Lord, I want to be wherever you are. I want to follow you. That's repentance. Admitting, stopping, and then letting God lead the way. After repentance, a way to prepare the heart is to live in submission. You know, we don't like that word submit. Most of us bristle when we cannot express our personal authority. But acknowledging authority and choosing uh, to place yourself under that authority is important. It's an act of submission. Warren Wearsby says this about submission. He says, submission is not subjugation. Subjugation turns a person into a thing, destroys individuality, and removes all liberty. Submission makes a person become more of what God wants him to be. It brings out individuality. It gives him the freedom to accomplish all that God has for his life and his ministry. Subjugation is weakness. It is a refuge of those who are afraid of maturity. Submission is strength. It is the first step toward maturity and ministry. So we listen, we have honesty about ourselves, 
we embody repentance, we live in submission, and then to follow up submission, we act with obedience. Obedience, I like to think of as submission in action. And so, it means that we do what God requires of us. I am deliberate in using the word require, because if we just do what God asks of us, so many treat us like asking is an option. The Bible's full of commands about how we are to obey God, but I want to mention just three real quickly. There's the Great Commission from Matthew 28, 19 through 20, where it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, or you could say obey, all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Where the commissioned to go and make disciples, to witness, to share the good news, to make the way for others to make that way clear for them to receive Jesus. Another way we obey is in the great commandment. It's in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. Jesus is speaking, He says, and he's asked, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus replies, You shall love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Love God, love your neighbor. We've talked about this before. Most people get this, and they know this, although we often fall short on what it really means to love God and to love our neighbor. I'd throw out a third command that really gets overlooked, and it's all throughout the Bible, although we'll just look at one passage. And it's a simple command, be holy. Too often we forget that we are to be a people who are holy and set apart for God. 1 Peter 1, 6 simply says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. God is holy, and so we are to be holy. We don't always like holiness, but it's important. We're to be set apart from this world, not just like it. So these obeys, these three big commandments, the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, the command to be holy, they're not how we make ourselves better. I think we often take obedience as, well, i got to fix myself. There to be a response of gratitude, a thank you to God. But they're also good road maintenance. They're what we do to keep the way open. When we obey, we're clearing the way, not for ourselves, but for King Jesus. Perhaps you've heard some of this today, and you're feeling a mountain of spiritual repair work. The task might seem daunting to you. Perhaps you're hearing these words that are more about how sinful you are, and and you're hearing about how sinful you are instead of hearing how loved you are. Resist the temptation to make all these words about how to make the way clear. Resist the temptation to make them a burden. Oh, I got to do all this now. I like what Daryl Bach says. Recognizing that we are accountable to God can either be suffocating or liberating. And I hope you would hear about making the way straight in your heart for Christ, that it would be liberating. So, are you willing to do the work of fixing the potholes, of dealing with the extra baggage? Are you willing to look at and face the past, face the things you're ashamed of? Because when the way is clear, we can experience the wonderful presence of King Jesus in our lives. Will you make the way clear for Jesus in your heart? Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, help us to prepare the way for the Lord in our community, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes, and most of all, in our hearts. Holy Spirit, this day I invite you to examine our hearts and show us where the road needs cleared up and cleaned up and maintained. And help this church to be known as a church that prepares the way for Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.